0: All right, recovering from that should be interesting, <laughs> uh, or following that rather. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's good to feel the presence of the Lord this morning, right? All right. Well, let's follow that moment with a peanuts illustration. <laughs> <laughs> Any, uh, any Peanuts fans? Not the food, the, the comic strip. <laughs> uh, there, was a, there was a comic uh, where Lucy walked into the room and demanded Linus change the channel on the TV. And she was threatening him with her fist if he didn't. And he says, what well, makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy says, these five fingers... Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible. What channel do you want? (laughs) Ask Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) Um...
1: Unity is a word that's been heavy on my heart lately. Getting organized like that. Because <laughs> Because when, when the body of Christ gets organized like that, it's a formidable force. I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best today <laughs> uh, to get through this one. <laughs> I did a quick Google search,
0: not a concordance, a Google search, (laughs) and I found that there's 66, at least 66 places in the Bible where it talks about unity and being one. So we're going to take our time this morning and go through each one of those. Just kidding. kidding. (laughs) You thought I was serious. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But there's only one reason you mention something that many times in one book. It's important. He wants us to
1: remember it. Paul says
0: in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So in the context of this passage, which there isn't a lot leading up to it, it's only verse 10, (laughs) but in the context of this passage, we're finding out about the people of Corinth in this church. They're exhibiting condescending devotion to one or another Basically, preacher, church leaders, people who were kind of in leadership. And it was causing this massive division in the church. They're fighting over, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. they're, They're fighting over who it is they're supposed to be following. Paul appeals to them here in this verse by asking them to agree with one another. In other passages, he says, be of one mind.
1: He's not teaching that the church, that that
0: the body should never disagree with each other. We're going to have differences of opinion. He made us unique individuals.
1: But the standard here
0: is, it's not to reach conformity, to where we're all the same and we all think exactly alike all the time. He didn't create robots. He created us to be unique.
1: But that there would be unity. Disagreement doesn't have to mean division. People can have differing views and still not be divided. Paul is
0: setting up Christ as the standard for every thought and every judgment. As every person conforms to Christ, they'll come
1: into alignment together with the body as we come into alignment with him. Differences of
0: opinion will then be secondary to fundamental agreement and brotherhood and sisterhood through Christ. The last year has been tough
1: for everybody. (laughs) It did not discriminate. (laughs) We've been through the ringer
0: as individuals, as companies, as families, as churches. Everybody's been through the ringer this year, job losses,
1: isolation, loss of loved ones, loss of stuff to do, (laughs) being stuck at home, having stress, being depressed, decision fatigue. (laughs) How do we handle this? Should I go to that? Should I not go to that? There's been tension with others. There have been a lot, a lot of polarizing issues this year. From every end of the spectrum.
0: And those polarizing issues added together with all the stuff we're going through as individuals
1: have caused division in the world. have caused... Division within our country. Within the church. And within our church. Satan has used those polarizing issues to get a foothold in the body of Christ. He's driving a wedge in.
0: In Matthew 12, 25... It says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. When we allow Satan to drive that wedge in, in between us, we have no chance of standing. No chance of working together to advance the kingdom. No chance of living out the call that he's placed on each of our lives together. So I want to tell you a story uh, that kind of depicts that a little bit. Amanda and I were talking about this several times throughout the last year. Uh, Back in 2009, which surprisingly was 12 years ago, (laughs) um, we took our first youth group on a missions trip. Uh, There was eight of us, I think. Uh, We went to Puerto Rico, not on vacation, on a missions trip, <laughs> um, and we went to this organization called Adventures in Missions. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but it's a relatively big missions organization for short-term missions trips. And uh, when you go with organizations like that, you will often get paired up with other groups that are going on the same trip. And so we were paired up with this church of about 19 or 20 people from Canada, and we went into it. We're like really excited about it. Um, It was really fun to pair up and partner with other churches in ministry, and you make new friends, and we were pretty excited about it. And we get there, and like from the get-go, there was division in the group. Now, the place where we were staying, again, I remind you, we were not on vacation, but the church that we were partnering with owned some semblance of a, like, retreat center, and it had two pools at it. So, our downtime, we got to do some swimming and things like that. We would go to get in the pool where the other group was swimming, and they would get out of the pool and go to the other pool. They just didn't want to be with us. There was, and things like that continued. We were just on completely different pages, and we couldn't get along. We got to about halfway through the week, and we just couldn't accomplish anything. All of the plans we were putting together were falling through. Orphanages we were supposed to go to wouldn't let us in. All kinds of stuff.
1: It was just all falling through.
0: And the leadership from each group and the people who were kind of overseeing our trip from Adventures and Missions got together and were like, we have to address this issue of division, of disunity in the group. And so the guy who was kind of helping lead us, he was part of the church, uh, his name's Joel, awesome guy. Um, he kind of called everybody out and led us through this time of challenging us and pushing us through and then divided us up into intermixed groups groups of like three or four and just had to share stuff with each other and start praying for each other. From that moment on, the second half of this 10-day trip, fortunately it was a 10-day trip, so we still had five days left of the trip. God did some awesome stuff.
1: But it wasn't going to happen
0: until we dealt with the disunity in our group. Satan was using our lack of unity to prevent us from advancing the kingdom. And I fully believe he's trying to do that now. In this incredibly divisive time in our culture and in our church. So this morning we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 to get a look at what we can each do individually to do our part and building up unity in the body of Christ. So let's read that passage, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He starts that out, he says, I urge you to walk, to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. So let's start with what is that calling? What is it that we're called to do? For starters, we have been called to Christ, into the family of God. Our call to salvation was accomplished by Christ's humble sacrifice when he gave his life on the cross. Secondarily, our call is to service for God. To serve him in such a way that his kingdom advances.
1: Which takes on so many different forms. But then how do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of that call?
0: The Greek word that's used in this passage for worthy refers to balance, as in like scales. So, like, find, you know, we are to live in balance
1: with our calling. How we act should match what we believe and should match what we're called to do. Remembering Christ's sacrifice should cause us to live for his glory in every area of our lives. That's how we try to achieve that balance
0: living up to the calling that we have received of our relationship with him and of our service to him to help advance his kingdom.
1: Verse two gives us
0: a little bit of, how do we get there? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. He didn't really hold any punches.
1: just, here, here's the things.
0: (laughs) Believers make up the body of Christ. So by privilege of our responsibility, we must be together, we must serve together, and we must worship together. It's part of our calling. The characteristics listed in this verse help create and maintain relationships between people that are smooth and that can help advance
1: the kingdom of God.
0: both Greek and Roman culture that were influencers throughout Scripture would hold humility and gentleness as
1: weaknesses. As character traits that show that you
0: are weak and that you have a lack of self-respect. And I think unintentionally, sometimes we let that mentality leak in. As opposed to what is laid out in Scripture for us? The Old Testament paves the way for there to be a positive connotation on humility. Because in Isaiah fifty seven, fifteen, God lives with the humble. In John thirteen, getting into the New Testament, Jesus exalted humility as a virtue when he washed his disciples' feet and then instructed them on how to go and be servants, to go and do likewise. Christ expected his followers to be humble toward God, but also to be humble toward each other. Serving one another, not putting themselves above anyone else. Christ is our example in
1: humility. God says that when you are humble, you are free from pride and arrogance. It's, it's not a sign of weakness.
0: It's not I think I think a lot of times we can picture humility as this concept of like groveling in front of others and thinking they're that they are good and we are not.
1: But that's not what the Bible says. It it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. You know that in your flesh you're inadequate without Christ. But you know your identity in Christ and what you're capable of through Him.
0: You don't need to defend, or prove yourself when you understand who you are in Christ.
1: You can be a peacemaker without needing to fight for your rights.
0: You can walk humbly in the power of the Holy Spirit in your own strength. And that's not to say that in, in certain situations you just let people walk all over you and you'd be a doormat. That's not what I mean when I say you don't stand up for your rights.
1: I mean you look out for others. Godly humility is being comfortable with who you are in the Lord and therefore putting others first. The picture of humility in the
0: Bible is a strong person who loves others. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility is recognizing that you need God's help. Knowing you truly can't succeed in your own strength. It's thanking God for your talents and your gifts and giving him credit for your accomplishments. It's being comfortable with who you are in Christ and seeking to put others first, to build others up. It's gratefully walking in God's grace and love and forgiveness and sharing those same things with other people. Jesus set a pretty good example, putting humility in action. He was gentle, he was humble, but he was strong. Let's look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8, just a couple of verses after the one we just read. Have this mind among yourselves, another version says, have the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the ultimate level of hum- showing humility. He is God. And being like God is unattainable. But he humbled himself and came down here. Gave up his life on the cross to show us how to be humble. To show us how to be servants.
1: Humility is not weak or passive. It's not God's message to us.
0: There is power in humility. You can defend arguments. Or not defend, sorry. You can diffuse arguments. That's a completely different thing. <laughs> you can diffuse arguments when you're being humble. You don't need to stand up for yourself in an angry manner. You don't have to win every argument. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Bring humility into those situations.
1: You can handle unfair treatment peacefully when you're being humble. And you can respond without becoming bitter. Godly humility means we don't
0: feel the need for vengeance. Jumping ahead further into Ephesians 4, at the end of the chapter, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as in God Christ forgave you. You understand God and humility. You don't need to act like a big shot or put up a false front
1: better you know God, the less you have to prove. Because your identity is in Him. And you're humble, you can respond and even learn
0: from criticism without becoming defensive about it, and that's whether it's founded criticism or not.
1: You can be aware of your failures without it devastating you. Your identity is in Christ. You can ask for forgiveness from God and from others. You
0: can recognize maybe I only have 1% of the blame in this situation. Maybe I have... 99% 99% of the blame in this situation. Whatever percentage it is, you can ask for forgiveness for the role you played in re- in any relationship.
1: Model that humility in owning up to your role. Matthew 5:23 to
0: 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift.
1: And make things right with each other.
0: If, there's any, if you know that somebody is holding some, something against you, you feel you're wrong them maybe, go and make it right. Then you can come undistracted.
1: To worship with the Lord. Knowing full well
0: that that relationship has been made right with God. You can talk with the right attitude when you are humble. You can talk courteously, lovingly, regardless of the situation. You know, sometimes you might need to be firm or take strong action, but that doesn't mean you can't be humble about it. Still in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Jumping back into the passage that's our main focus this morning, Ephesians, earlier on in Ephesians 4. Verse 2 starts with humility
1: and gentleness, is the next thing. Humility is an attitude.
0: Gentleness, in a sense, is the action derived from humility. It's putting that humility into action. And so a lot of those action steps we're just talking about with humility are really us implementing humility through gentleness. Gentleness can also be translated, we've seen the word in the Bible, meek, meekness. And meekness, there's no intention to rhyme here. Meekness does not mean
1: weakness. Rather, it involves humility and thankfulness toward God and polite, restrained behavior towards others. It takes a strong person to be
0: gentle. That sounds really weird. (laughs) because of the way we understand those words. But it's might restrained. It's humility and grace. If everybody in the body of Christ had humility and gentleness, conflicts would disappear. And instead, there would be strength and power for God's service.
1: The next thing in in this verse is patience. Not always my strong suit. When everything goes our way, patience is pretty easy.
0: When I'm hitting all green lights, that's pretty easy to be patient. When every light turns red right as you're approaching it, it's a different story. The true test of patience comes when our
1: rights are violated. Somebody cuts you off in traffic or turns into your lane when you're trying to turn or when we're treated unfairly, when our coworker ridicules our faith again. I don't have that problem working at the church, fortunately.
0: Impatience often feels like we treat it like it's holy anger, like we have a right to be angry and frustrated because we were mistreated or our rights were violated in some way. We get upset over those things, but it's okay. The Bible, however, praises patience as part of the fruit of the Spirit,
1: as fruit that should come out as
0: followers of Christ. It reveals our faith in God's timing, His omnipotence, His love. It shows that we trust that whatever's happening right now is on purpose.
1: I think back to like 9-11, and all the people that were supposed to be in the building,
0: but weren't. Their alarm didn't go off, or they got stuck in traffic, or... They had to stop at the store because they forgot to do something or whatever. And they weren't at work yet when those planes hit the buildings. In those moments, they were probably extremely frustrated and feeling very impatient.
1: But looking back,
0: they go, man, it's a good thing my alarm didn't go off. And that's how we need to look at this, trusting that God has each and every situation in his hand. And whatever's happening, whether we like it or we don't like it, is part of his timing, his omnipotence, his love, and we just show patience. God's mapping it out.
1: We'll get there when we get there.
0: Although most people consider patience to be passive, waiting, or gentle, tolerance, most of the Greek words that are translated patience are actually active, robust words. Here's an example. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance here is, real, is also translated patience. In other versions, there's a reason that they use this word. Long-suffering.
1: Does one run a race passively? Sometimes.
0: <laughs> but passively waiting for slow pokes or, or being... Gently tolerant of cheaters. (laughs) Probably not very often. (laughs) The word here, patience, endurance, is this concept of patiently persevering through difficulties. There's a little bit of action with it, it's persevering towards a goal. It's enduring trials or expectantly waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. Again, there's a reason some versions use the word long-suffering.
1: But here's the thing. You don't just
0: flip a switch. Patience isn't developed overnight. And those of us who don't have patience are not okay with that. We want... I'm getting impatient. I want my patience to develop already. It takes time. It takes investment. It takes trusting in God's timing and God's plan. James points to the prophets as an example of patience in the face of suffering. He also refers to Job, whose perseverance was rewarded.
1: Abraham. That guy waited a long time for a promise to be fulfilled. But Jesus, Jesus is our model in all things. He
0: modeled patience through endurance. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne
1: of God. Patience conveys the the quality of being able to handle one another's faults. Refusing to avenge wrongs. No one's ever going to be perfect. Not on this earth. So we have to be patient with each other. despite our faults, despite our mistakes. The last thing in verse 2, the perfect follow-up right here. Bearing with one another in love. That involves a willingness to forgive. To show patience requires love. Which has to be the guiding force in our lives as Christians. Even when natural differences and clashes happen.
0: Uses the word bearing. Bearing with one another. Which indicates that there are times when loving someone
1: is a burden. Where it's going to be hard. I don't think they would use the word bearing with one another if it was always going to be easy.
0: We have to be willing to carry the load without expecting anything in return, without expecting a reward, without expecting thanks, and being okay with the fact that I showed love. they didn't necessarily return it, but that's, that's, that's not the thing I can control. We have to make room for each other's faults, for each other's mistakes. Have you ever put up with something grandma said or the crazy uncle did or or just the things that can come up in families? When it's family, more times than not, realize there are exceptions to that, more times than not, we give the benefit of the doubt. We make room for each other's faults because it's family. Guess what?
1: This is family. I know I haven't done a good job this year at giving people a little room for error. But instead of instead of focusing on the faults, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to love them
0: humbly, gently, patiently. Verse 3 goes on to say, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This unity that we're talking about is only possible with the Holy Spirit acting in our lives. The Spirit is the original originator and sustainer of this unity, of this oneness. Love for each other, which the presence of the Spirit causes, makes peace possible. To bind ourselves together with peace includes uniting into one body. This bond holds people together like string or twine. Peace functions as the binding twine of unity. I know it's going to be kind of funny, but like whenever I'm looking through this, like all I could think about was in Mighty Ducks 2, the one guy, like he, they tied the whole team up in a rope. They were all bound together. And they, when they're all trying to go in separate directions, they couldn't go anywhere. When they found peace and worked together, they were moving all over the place as one unit.
1: We're all bound together in this body of Christ. Let us move as one. Paul knew that maintaining unity would take hard work.
0: It would take continual diligence. We face a lot of stuff that's going to try to tear us apart. The church, even the capital C church, needs to work diligently to maintain unity. This passage goes on in verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We have to diligently maintain our unity as described in verse 3, because that's what Christ desires. For his body, there is only one body.
1: And we all have the same spirit.
0: The repetition of the word one emphasizes the unity that he's trying to create within the body. Regardless of all the things that can and even have been dividing us, racial injustice issues, political views, social media, church attendance, That's just to name a few. We belong to one body through one Holy Spirit. In a pagan culture, outside of the church, people can choose from any number of religions and cults and gods to worship. But Christians, there's only one. We
1: all worship the same one. We all need to have the same goal to be
0: unified by the Spirit, to advance the kingdom. Unity in the body happens because the Spirit indwells us.
1: Christianity is not a club to join. It's a spiritual relationship with Christ and with others. That one Spirit guarantees that we have been called to the same glorious future in heaven together. (laughs) The challenge
0: for each and every one of us is to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. You can't control how others live up to their call, but you can control how you live up to your call. I can control how I live up to mine. And through the power of the spirit that dwells inside of you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you can live in humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, keeping the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. A few weeks ago, Jim was up here. He mentioned that our leadership has been developing, setting some goals. With the focus of moving forward
1: as a body toward kingdom advancement.
0: But before we get to that, I need you guys to remember Matthew 12:25 that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And remember that missions trip story, that nothing happened. We could accomplish nothing until
1: we dealt with the disunity.
0: When we are divided, those goals for kingdom advancement won't be accomplished we'll just be spinning our wheels
1: and getting more frustrated.
0: I had to take some time this week and reflect on how maybe I am contributing to disunity, to division. And I want to encourage each of you to just take some time and do the same. Whether it's 1%, 10%, 50%, whatever, just ask God to show you how maybe you've contributed to it. But don't stop there. Ask him how you can contribute to unity rather than division. Remember, humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace. As the worship team comes to to lead us in our closing song, I just want to close this moment
1: with a word of prayer. Lord God, you've called us to be one. And you've given us your spirit to empower us to do that. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts
0: to move towards humility, towards gentleness. Towards patience, towards peace, ultimately, Lord, towards unity. Help us, Lord, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have called us to. To be in relationship with you, to be in relationship with others, to draw others into relationship with you.
1: Draw us into your presence, Lord. Challenge our hearts this morning. And we pray. Right.